Hello, this is Donna Reish of Character Inc. Publishing and Raising Kids with Character Parenting Seminar. Welcome to another episode of Wondering Wednesday Podcasts, a podcast series in which we answer questions that you pose to us about parenting, homeschooling, language arts, and a lot of other things. Today I am going to be bringing you part two of what to do with the wonderful one-year-old. As I mentioned in last week's podcast, our daughter and son-in-law have a 14-month-old baby, our very first grandchild, a little boy named Jason. And so she's been asking me a lot of questions about one-year-olds, and I've been giving her a lot of answers. So I just thought I would summarize some of those answers, give them all to you as well in this what to do with the wonderful one-year-old. I want to highlight a few of the things that we had last week in part one. First of all, to determine your parenting paradigm. If you missed last week's podcast, it is available on our website as well as at iTunes, and there is a handout to go with that one also. Hopefully, you'll have your handout for this week, What to Do with the Wonderful One-Year-Old Part 2. Anyway, back to last week's summary, determining your parenting paradigm. That is, determine what you really believe about parenting. Do you believe that you can enjoy the toddler years? Do you believe that you can make a difference in your toddler's character? Do you believe that what you do now can have a lifelong impact on your child? Next, determine your parenting absolutes. At this level, there aren't that many parenting absolutes. For us later on, there were many of them. Our home will absolutely not have people lying. They will, it will not have people striking each other, and so on. Now, this is not to say these things never happen in a home once they are your absolutes, but this is to say that these are what our home is known by. These are the things that our family is characterized by. These are the things that we as parents will emphasize in our teaching to our children. At this level, at this age, maybe your only absolute is car seat behavior or car seat use. Um, but you can determine those. Again, you can learn more about that in last week's podcast. I want to bring your attention to the two important truths uh, that we will actually be utilizing in every single goal that we discuss today. The first one is that you must do your responsibilities in every area. That is that you can never expect a certain behavior if you have not met your responsibilities to cause your child to be able to succeed. Your responsibilities begin right away in your children's behaviors and continue on all the way up through the teen years. So many times we look at our children's behaviors, especially older children, and we think, why is that child doing that? When in reality, the first place we need to look is with our responsibilities. What are we doing to make the child able to succeed? to make the child able to fulfill the behaviors that he or she has been taught. The second one is to always consider reverse engineering. And that's what we're going to actually be doing as we walk through 10 different potential one-year-old goals today. That is, this is my end goal. This is what I would like to see by 18 months or 24 months, whatever the end result goal might be, whatever that age is that you're looking for. And what do I need to do working backwards in order to make that goal a reality? 
a lot more about that last week. Again, remember those important things, your paradigms, your absolutes, your responsibilities, and also all the way throughout the goals this week, remember the high five comprehension test. That is that if your one-year-old can come up to you when you say, give me five, and he's 14, 15, 16 months, he can come up and give you five. Then he can also stop when you say no. He can also sit when you say sit in the high chair or the stroller or the grocery cart. He can also stop pulling on the electrical cords when you say no. Because the high five comprehension test tells you that the comprehension is there in his little sweet, wonderful mind. And one-year-olds are amazingly wonderful. So he has the comprehension in his little one-year-old mind to be able to fulfill simple commands because he is able to give you high five. Again, a quick review of the general one-year-old training tips. Tell, don't ask. I elaborated on this a lot last week. And I know that there is a lot of parenting information available today um, that doesn't really put a lot of expectation on our children. Um, A lot of, you know, we shouldn't expect this. We shouldn't demand this and so on and so forth. Um, If you've been to our parenting seminar, Raising Kids with Character, or you've read our blog very much, or you've heard us speak at homeschool conventions, you probably know that that is not our style of parenting. Our style of parenting is one in which there are expectations, but they are coupled with us fulfilling our responsibilities. They are coupled with training and teaching and expectation explanations. They are coupled with so much love, so much family unity, so much family enjoyment, so much prioritizing of the family that it makes it a lot easier for our children to meet our expectations. So anyway, with this tell, don't ask, the problem right now is that we have so much uh, teaching about how we should always ask our children, about how we should always, um, you know, speak softly, don't demand, and so on and so forth. And there's a really big problem with the um, asking rather than telling approach, and that is that if you take that approach and you ask your children to do things, then you as a parent should never punish when the child doesn't fulfill whatever you've asked because you gave the child a choice. The child chose no. And so with the ask approach, you are either setting your child up for failure because chances are if you're asking, you're also upset when they're not doing it. So that really sets your child up for failure and it also sets you up to be the bad guy in parenting because you just asked and now all of a sudden you're demanding and um, the other thing is that that isn't realistic we read a book when we were first a parent parents when our firstborn was one year old called um, uh, sorry it's by Kevin Lehman and it's called um, making children mind without losing yours. And it is his basically his introduction to reality discipline, which is an amazing approach. And in reality discipline, uh, we do what the child will 
actually experience in real life. And so uh, asking all the time is not anywhere close to reality discipline because they're going to be, as soon as a child hits school, if he goes to school, Sunday school, anytime he leaves your environment of asking and then no demands, he's going to be told what to do. And so asking all the time is not really uh, reality discipline or reality parenting. So we recommend that you tell, don't ask. Um, we also recommend that you don't say no unless you'll go. This is crucial in this age group because this one-year-old age group is filled with no. We constantly tell them no. No, don't touch that. No, don't do that. No, don't go that way. Come back to mommy. And so everything is no, no, no which we actually need to reduce those no's and uh, only focus on the important ones because we say no way too many times and it becomes, um, you know, a clanging symbol, so to speak. But then also we say no and then when the child doesn't follow through on it, um, he doesn't quit getting into something that you don't want him to get into. If it's not particularly dangerous, we just let him continue with that activity, even though we've said no. So our approach is don't say no unless you'll go. And this will just eliminate a lot of your no's because if it's not that important for you to get up and actually get the child out of something, then you won't say no anyway. So secondly, don't say no unless you'll go. Um, also, there are a lot of good materials out there on teaching baby sign language. We got into this with our last couple of uh, babies and our daughter is using this um, with our 14-month-old grandson, and he can he can tell when he wants to eat um, now, and he can tell when he's all done, uh, both with signs. And it's so much nicer to have a, a little one, you know, pointing to his mouth, and he does it kind of frantically. It's kind of cute, actually. And he goes, ah, 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 and he's trying to say eat while he's signing it. And he, um, you know, acts like he's hasn't had a meal in three days. It's so stinking cute. But anyway, um, consider sign language because you will be able to eliminate a lot of frustration if you teach your child a way to communicate when the verbal abilities are not up to the same level as the comprehension abilities. And um, lastly, don't work on too many things at one time. Um, we always caution this in all of our parenting workshops and seminars because I know from personal experience, having been a seminar and workshop and parenting book junkie for many, many years, that we hear good ideas or we hear things that we really want to try or that we want in our families, and then we have a tendency to try too many things at one time. So with a one-year-old, don't try too many things or too many um, training uh techniques or training approaches um, at one time and always focus on danger and health first um, because that of course is your priority with a one-year-old. All right we're going to be going through here um, with some of the goals that I introduced last week that might be your goals. Uh, again these are completely um, up to each family based on your parenting paradigm, based on your parenting absolutes, based on things that are important to you. As I mentioned last week, we might say, you know what, I don't really care if my child sleeps in a crib. I don't really care if my child sits in a high chair. So those are, those are goals that you won't even, even be focusing on at all if that's the case. But for those, any of these 10 goals that are your goals, I would like to explain some things about them, things that we have learned through parenting our seven children uh, over the last 32 years, and um, things that we have found to be helpful for us.
Uh, the first one on the handout that you should have in front of you, I hope, is uh, a goal of sleeping. In each of these situations, each of these goals, we're going to give two things, um, just like we do in our parenting seminar. Uh, number one, what is your goal? Determine that goal. And number two, what are your responsibilities? Because you can't have any expectations of your children without fulfilling your responsibilities first. So the first uh, goal, or major goal, with lots of mini goals underneath it probably, is that of sleep. And at this, this one is really important to determine your goal because it's going to be your goal. You can have a lot of goals in sleeping. Your goal might be uh, that you put the child in the crib at, you know, 16 months, 18 months, and he goes to bed with a pacifier, a blanket, without a pacifier, whatever your goal might be. That you put him in bed awake, that you put him in bed asleep, um, that you put him in bed with a certain ritual, and he learns to associate that with bedtime. So whatever that goal might be, I do want to throw out uh, two schools of thought here on um, the sleep goals. Uh, we didn't really face this between 12 and 18 months because we had already um, had this as a previous goal in our baby's lives that... Um, between four and six months, we actually did sleep training with our babies. And I know that a lot of moms aren't comfortable with that, um, uh, with, you know, they, with, um, they prefer, you know, babies to sleep with them in their beds or whatever that might be. And that's certainly fine. But for us, um, it worked out, especially because as I mentioned last week, one of our very, very important goals in, with having our last four children even was to focus on making the child fit into our family instead of everything revolving around one child. And, um, that served us well. I do want to say that just in general, because if you have a large family and you really want to focus on your older kids more then a lot of, um, your goals for your toddlers and preschoolers might increase. That is how it happened for us, that we realized as our older kids were getting older, you know, that we didn't want to um, just focus on babies and toddlers and preschoolers all the time, that we wanted to have the time and the energy to focus on our older kids too. So, but anyway, uh, your sleep goal might be that of the baby going to bed with a certain ritual. It might be, um, you know, that you're going to get the child to sleep and then put the child in the bed, and but you want him to stay there. So whatever that is, there are a couple of things um, out there available to help you because this small podcast episode definitely will not help you with all of that. Uh, there's the, you know, the cry it out approach, CIO, and you can find information uh, about that by Ferber, F-E-R-B-E-R. And then there's also... Uh, another approach to getting the child to sleep in his own bed, and that is that of no tears. Um, and that uh, the proponent of that that I found most helpful when I was researching this um, was Tracy Hogg, H-O-G-G, with the Secrets of the Baby Whisperer. So if your goal is to get the child in the child's bed, you might look into either of those two approaches. Um, but let's move into your responsibility. Your responsibilities in getting your child to go to bed will be um, a consistent routine, first and foremost. Uh, really, regardless of the approach that you take uh, to getting a child at this age to stay to sleep in his bed and to go to bed um, at a certain time, you know, 
without having to to work with him for you know, a long period of time to get him to sleep, uh, sleeping through the night, whatever that goal might be. It doesn't really matter what your approach is. It always needs to have a consistent routine. So that is your first responsibility in sleep training, a consistent routine. That is that um, food is has been taken care of, the child is not hungry, that drinks have been taken care of, the child is not thirsty, the child is warm, but not too hot, clean, changed, um, diaper changed, and so forth, that he has had a good nap schedule. Um, this is one of the key things to leading to a good night's sleep or a good sleep schedule at night is that the nap schedule. Um, it's your responsibility to not let your toddler fall asleep wherever he wants in front of the television at four o'clock and sleep until seven and then turn around and expect him to go to bed at eight or nine. So those, that's your responsibility to be sure that the nap hasn't lasted too long. The child didn't sleep in too late that morning. The nap wasn't too late. You know, those things are things that if you want your child to go to bed at a certain time that you have to fulfill on your end first of all. And, and that's really hard. I'm not here to say that it's not. I'm not here to try to make it seem like it's simple because I can remember running into the living room and uh, seeing uh, one of the older kids just sitting there reading a book with the baby, the toddler, six, eight, ten months, um, in her arms and the toddler was asleep. And I can remember me saying, don't let her, him sleep. Wake him up. Wake him up. You know, he's not supposed to sleep. Um, because I did want to work on the good night schedule. And so that is, again, your responsibility. Um, the consistent routine at night, again, with the food and drink and warm and clean, and then with your, with the ritual, whatever your ritual might be that you've determined as a parent, we are going to change diaper. We're going to talk about bed. We're going to get last drinks. We are going to, to turn down the light. We're going to always have our uh, nighttime book basket and he's going to pick a book out of it and we're going to read it in his room or in the living room, whatever your ritual might be. Or uh, we're going to rock for one or two minutes and then we're going to read the story and um, then we're going to go into the bed, we're going to turn down the lights, we're going to um, uh, put on an audio or, a mu or music or a wind-up uh, um, toy of some kind, um, whatever your ritual might be. But it's your responsibility to create that ritual and to follow through on it. We have to remember that whatever you start will become expectations. So if you have, you know, you want a ritual and you want it to be a 10-minute ritual, um, which is definitely reasonable at this age, then you need to make it a 10-minute ritual. And at the end of the ritual, then next comes bed or however, whatever order you're doing things in. Um, but if you start something that becomes a 30-minute ritual, then that will become the expectation of your child. So... Again, in determining your sleep goals, you have to be sure that you've done all of your part first and um, that you are consistent in that, whatever that is. Um, it really isn't 
necessarily a big deal at this age, but you know, you always hear about parents, you know, we just, it takes hours to get everybody to bed, you know, first they need another drink, then they need this, then they need this, then they need that. And, um, we didn't do any of that with our kids because we always tried to be consistent with our routine so that our responsibilities were already fulfilled. And we knew they were. That's the other thing. It's really difficult to either punish or discipline a child, whatever the age, or to have an expectation of something if you haven't done your part. So, for instance, if you, um, you know, you put the child to bed at 8.30 and he's crying and crying and crying, in the back of your mind, you know that you let the child sleep until 6. So you know that he's not really that sleepy. So then all of a sudden, you have to go in and get him out because, quite frankly, it's your fault, and then your then your um, consistent routine has been messed up, and it's really hard to do any child training under those circumstances. So, consistency, um, fulfilling your responsibilities, that not only helps your child, but it helps you to be a better parent in all situations. It's going to help you if you start doing your responsibilities now. It will help you be such a stronger parent as your child grows up. Because you will always know, you know what, I did my part. My expectations are not unrealistic. And you'll always know that uh, in all, in uh, most situations. Now, I'm not saying we're ever going to parent perfectly. But I'm just saying, let's make it our goal to do our part. Let's make it our goal to do our responsibilities so that our parenting will be stronger and we'll be uh, better able to make appropriate expectations of our kids. All right, number two is to stay in the crib. Um, again, what is your goal? Do you want the child not to climb out of the bed? Then you're going to have to make sure that he can't. You're going to have to make sure that the the mattress is low enough. We had one in which we had to get a tent over the top of it, um, a mesh tent, a safety tent, so that he wouldn't crawl out, climb out, because he kept getting hurt, and it was dangerous. Um do you want the child to stay in the crib in the morning longer? We always wanted our kids to wake up happy. Wake, waking up as a happy child is a wonderful thing. I strongly recommend it. And we always wanted our kids to wake up happy. So uh, whenever I was up in the morning and working with the other kids on things and the toddler was still asleep, I would always sneak into the room and put some things in the corner of the crib. And he always knew when he woke up, there were going to be some things in there, some board books, um, some toys. And when he woke up, he would always just look for those and play with those. And the squeals of delight and the happiness that we always had with our toddlers in the morning was really good. It also teaches the child focusing. If you've ever listened to any of my reading workshops, my learning workshops, you'll know that we can really do a lot to help our children learn focusing skills. And we can start right now with, um, with focused play um, and focused time where it, the child isn't distracted by other things, but he learns how to entertain himself. So whatever your goals are, set those for the crib stay, staying in the crib. And then fulfill your responsibilities. Here we go again. What are your responsibilities to make a child stay in the crib? First of all, your responsibility is to make sure that he's safe and secure, always. Always uh, safety first. So your responsibility is to make sure he's, he's safe and secure. The next responsibility is to make it so that there's not a frustration. Um, I say this because one of the, the what I think um, 
kind of a worse parenting technique, actually, for this age, is that of rushing. Rushing through. We see people all the time who, you know, they want to move the one-year-old to a, a twin bed. They want to move the one-year-old out of the high chair, you know, whatever it might be. And I know that some of that is, you know, that everybody thinks that their child is the most advanced. And I understand that we all think our kids are amazing. And, and I hope we all do. You know, I, I, I would hope that we all think that our kids are amazing. But there's always this kind of thing in the back of our minds of competition, you know, that he was able to walk earlier, he was able to move to a big bed sooner, he was able to eat solid food earlier, whatever it might be. And I would just really recommend that you try to get yourself out of the competition mode because earlier is not really always better. Um, our philosophy with our children actually was just the opposite. We'll do things later and our kids will be the oldest and the most mature in their situations. So we never pushed our kids uh, forward for anything. One of the things that we never pushed them to was to leave their crib early. Um, as a matter of fact, our kids were usually about three when they moved to a crib, a, a twin bed or a um, toddler bed. And the reason for that was because that if they leave too early, you have just made more work, more punishment, and more danger, um, in, in our opinions. There's the danger that your child will get up in the middle of the night and that something, you know, he could get into something or he could harm himself. And just after taking care of our little 14-month-old who has recently learned to walk, um, every week, one day a week, I just know that danger abounds for him. You know, um, we have a joke that my son who's 16 gets his entertainment on that day by watching me because he says, it's so funny to see that I can't sit down and do any of my work for 10 seconds. Or we say, I can't write one paragraph. That's our joke. Um, because he's always into something and he's a wonderful one-year-old, you know, and he's curious and he's healthy. Um, but putting a child in a big bed, so to speak, too early can be provide more danger, more work for you, um, having to get up, put him back in the bed and train him when he might not be ready to be taught to stay in a, a bed yet. Um, whether that comprehension is there thoroughly that, you know, all of a sudden now I have all this freedom, but I'm not allowed to get out of it. Um, that could be a problem. More punishment if you do have to get up all the time, punish the child, put the child back in the bed, and so on. So your goal, your responsibilities, safety, security, um, maybe a net over the top, and um, meeting those responsibilities so that your child can stay in his crib. The next one, number three, is high chair for meals. With this and with a lot of these other goals, keep in mind the car seat example that I mentioned last week. That... Your child probably sits in a car seat every single time you get in the vehicle. So you've already shown that you are able to parent in that way. You are able to make your child stay where you want him to stay. Now, obviously, he's locked in to the car seat, but you probably don't have all the screaming and carrying on and crying the whole time. You know, you probably adapted to that. And the same thing is true with a high chair. If your goal is that your child sits in a high chair for meals, then you have to know that you can make that happen, just like you made the car seat happen. Now, what are your responsibilities in this? 
Again, consistency, that's always your responsibility, but especially in the high chair because it, um, when they scream in the high chair, something happens. Wowzy. Do I ever remember our strong-willed 16-month-old screaming in the high chair and, and what that um, did to me? I just I had a, a, a really bad experience with a ruptured uterus and I was grieving um, our stillborn at that time. And I just remember it being so, so hard to, with his high chair behavior. And, um, I remember Ray just completely took that over in the evenings and just, uh, completely did all the high chair training for him because I wasn't able emotionally to handle that. But it is a hard thing because the screaming, the throwing down of things and so forth, um, can really get tiring at this age, but your responsibility is consistency. So what do you want? Do you want him to stay there? Do you want him to not throw? You know, what are your goals and make those consistent? Now, also, what else can you do? What other responsibilities can you fulfill? Well, you can not put too many things on the tray. You can um, make sure he always uses a sippy cup. You can put the sippy cup on only when he is 18, 24 months and he doesn't throw it down. You can do things that cause him not to have those bad behaviors. Um, consistency and keeping him there, not letting him down all the time when he screams. And punishing for behaviors that do not lead to your goal. Uh, for our particular situation, we didn't allow screaming. And we didn't allow standing in the high chair. And we didn't allow throwing things down from the high chair. And um, our strong-willed 16-month-old did all of those things for many, many weeks, every single night, actually. And so we had what we called the runner. The kids still get a big kick out of this, and they even tell uh, Jacob, who's 16, that he, he was so bad in the high chair that we had to have a runner every night. But that runner... We would lift him out of the high chair, give him to the runner. The runner would run him upstairs, put him in his crib, all the while talking to him. It's another just really sweet memory is hearing them, you know, sister doesn't want you to scream and throw your food. Sister wants you to be at the table with us. I love you, Jakey. I don't want you to come up to your bed. I want you to be with us. Talk about sweet memories. Anyway, punishing for that, putting him in the crib. Until he quit screaming, bring him down, try it again. So whatever your responsibilities are in this, you need to be sure that those are fulfilled. And also be sure that it's important to you. It was important to us by, uh, by the last few children for sure, but maybe it's not to you. So maybe you won't even worry about it. Okay, goal number four, eating a variety of healthy foods at meals. What does this mean for you? What is this goal and how can you get there? Your responsibilities for this goal include not feeding snacks too close to meals. Um, another recommendation is to start with the most healthful foods slash the least liked foods and then move on to the fruit or the things that are sweeter or that you know the child loves. Don't fill up on juices. Um, if, you, if your child carries around a juice bottle, an apple juice bottle or a milk bottle all the time, probably that's not going to work in the high chair to really get him to sit there and eat a variety of healthful foods. Be careful about building tastes for other things. And then also determine how important this goal is. Is it important enough to you that everybody eat the same thing at the same time? To the point that, that, that whatever your child at 
18 months or 24 months didn't eat that you're going to just save the plate and that's going to be what he has next? Or is it not that important to you? Determine your goal and then fulfill your responsibilities to make it happen. Goal number five, I'm going to have to go a little bit faster on some of these than I have been. Goal number five is to not get into dangerous things. This actually should have been goal number one. Um, but determine your goal. What, what are these dangerous things? Um, are they electrical cords? Are they lamps? Are they bookcases? Standing and standing on the bottom shelf of a bookcase, pulling it, pulling on it. Um, wow, there are so many dangers for this age group, and um, danger and safety are, I'm, as I mentioned, should always be the number one goal. But what are your responsibilities in this? Your responsibilities are to provide as many safety things as you can. You know, there's only so much understanding that a 12-month-old, a very mobile 10-month-old, a very mobile 14-month-old, there's only so much understanding that they have at this age. And so do you really want everything to be wide open and available so that you are constantly, constantly saying no and, of course, going because you don't say no unless you'll go? Um, or are you going to just put on those safety locks, just eliminate some of those things that would be um, temptations? Start with the most dangerous. Again, don't say no unless you'll go. And start punishing with the dangerous things. Um, that is, your firmness should be very strong with the dangerous things. Um, no, you know, that Jason can get hurt. That's not for babies. That hurts babies. You know, whatever you might want to say. Use wording that is simple, easily understood, and consistent. Um, and then, you know, if there are other things like, you know, opening the, the trash can door all the time, you might want to distract for that. You can't punish for every single move a 14-month-old makes. So you need to determine which things you are most important to you. Distract for the other things. You know, when Jason is at our house, I'm very firm about the computer, about pulling on the lamp, about the electrical cords. Of course, I keep all the doors shut um, so that he can't get into rooms. Um, I don't have all the safety things that Cammie has at home, but, you know, the knife drawer is very, very serious. Uh, the electrical cords, very serious response to that compared to, um, you know, getting into the trash can under the desk, which has paper in it. You know, I'm going to pull that away from him. I'm going to say no. I'm going to go because I said no, and I'm going to distract him, pull him away, carry him over to his toys, and I'm going to say, these are Jason's toys, but when he's pulling on the lamp or something that could hurt him, I'm going to be much more firm about that, um, and uh, I don't particularly, but I know, you know, they smack his hands light taps on his hands, squeeze his hands, whatever it might be to just get a little message. I'm not talking about hitting a child. I'm talking about child training. Next is lying still during changing. And this actually should have been number one too, because this is something that you can actually start the training of as early as six or seven months. I know with Jason, we have done this from very early. Our goal was that he always lies still during the entire changing, um, that he not try to get up, that he not wiggle from side to side and make it impossible to change him. Um, this is, this is a realistic goal for an eight, 10 and 12 month old. So what are your responsibilities to see it happen? First of all, 
we always, I particularly, um, and I think Cammie does this too, but I always say when I'm getting ready to change him, I gather his things and I say, we're going to change your diaper. Let's get your changing toy. That's always the wording that I use with him. Let's get your changing toy. And I go and I get something small that I know he likes um, that he can play with while I'm changing him. Then um, a firmness about it. When he starts to pull away, it starts to try to get up. I just give him, just like with my, with a couple of fingers, a little tap. It doesn't even hurt him on the thigh. That said, and then I say, no, lie still. Why not? It changes you. And um, my responsibility has to be that I won't wrestle, right? It's my responsibility to say, I'm not going to wrestle. I'm going to, to teach him to do this, if that is your goal. Next one is the car seat. Uh, this was probably already established um, a long time ago. But your responsibilities, what are you willing to do to make sure that he is quiet and happy and in the car seat? By that, by that I mean, are you willing to sit back beside him and feed him crackers the whole time? Are you willing to um, take turns playing with him the entire time? I'm not talking about long trips. I'm just talking about short uh, jaunts in the car seat. What, what are you willing to do? Be careful in your car seat goals of too much thrill. The car is such a big part of life that if you set your toddler up to always have to have somebody sitting with him, playing with him, reading stories to him, feeding him Cheerios, whatever that might be, you can really set yourself up for unrealistic expectations of what you'll do um, during something that is so consistent, so um, uh, such a big part of your life. Also, with the car seat goals, be careful that you don't negate another goal. For example, it's really easy to try to use snacks a lot in the car seat, and that could ruin your goal of eating well in his, in his high chair. Um, maybe you are in the car too much. Maybe, you know, one of the goals needs to be, uh, one of your responsibilities needs to be not to go so much so that he's in the car seat too much. Um, with that, maybe he falls asleep a lot in the car seat. And so maybe you just need to reduce the amount of time that you're in the vehicle so he's not sleeping too much. And then that ruins your other goal of getting him to sleep in bed. Again, everything is so interrelated at, at these ages. Um, but all of these things are things that can happen between 12 or 14 or 16 months and 24 months. Um, these are all things that, that we worked on during those times um, in an effort to not have a quote-unquote terrible two-year-old because so many of these things so many of the things with a terrible two-year-old and I hate to even use that phrase because we always called them terrific two-year-olds but so many um things that attributes and things that we describe with terrible two-year-olds and so many things that people say happen with terrible two-year-olds are really just things that weren't taken care of prior to age two Things that as a child was learning new things, I'm learning to sit in a high chair, I'm learning to go to bed, I'm learning to um, enjoy my mobility without hurting myself or getting into things that I'm not allowed. Um, all of those things are things that we didn't do anything about until two, and and then we call it terrible twos because it's responsible we try to put limitations. Um, his response is very overwhelming. Um, i.e. screaming and fits and so on. 
When in reality, if we just did these things a little bit at a time, as he was gaining that mobility, as he was sitting in a high chair eating, as he was learning to go to bed at night, then a lot of things are really taken care of. A lot of things are just things that happen as they grow up, and we can just adapt to those things and teach them as they go. It doesn't have to be something that now he's two, now we're going to enforce all these things, and then he's going to scream. Okay, goal number eight is to come when called. Uh, Determine your goal. What is your goal here? Do you want him to come so you can change him? Come so you can put him in the high chair? Come so that uh, you can put his coat on? Whatever that might be. Lots of responsibilities with this one. Um, Because this is one of those just like saying no that we have a tendency to call, call, call and then intercept. Right? And so couple of things is it just like the don't say no unless you'll go um, just don't say come unless you really mean it don't say come unless you really need for him to come to you um, follow the high five comprehension test um, tell him don't ask him will you come to mama well if you say will you come to mama and he chooses not to you know there's not a lot you can do about it and it's really poor parenting to ask him to come and then to be upset or punish him when he doesn't. So tell him what you want him to do. Don't tell him to come constantly. Don't say it when you don't mean it. And when he doesn't come, don't ever laugh or chase or make a joke out of it. Because really, if you told him to come and then you laughed and joked about it, what you've done is you have trained him to not obey. Not only that, you've trained him that um, what you what you're saying isn't important and it's even funny um, when he doesn't. Uh, Your responsibilities in this are to tell, don't ask, to only say it when you mean it, to not make jokes, to not chase, and to use simple wording. Always use the same wording. Come to mommy. Turn around, look at mommy, come to mommy, whatever that might be, and then follow through on that. Number nine is sitting still for short periods of time. Determine your goal in this. Is your goal that he can sit on your lap during a meeting, during church? He can sit on a blanket and play for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long you want to extend that to. Determine your goals and then fulfill your responsibilities. Your responsibilities are always to have realistic expectations. So if you're expecting him to sit for a 90-minute church service on your lap with you holding him down, that's probably an unrealistic expectation. Start small and then increase. We always um, had certain things that were only allowed for church. And so that in his church bag, he wasn't allowed in it except for at church. That was something that was my responsibility that I fulfilled to make his learning to sit so much easier. We also had this thing where... Uh, We didn't really need for him to necessarily be quiet during the singing, worship, and stuff like that. So, you know, we would hold him, you know, let him take part. They usually like music. But when it came time for the sermon, we always, he always knew that we were going to pass out gum. And we would just break off little teeny pieces of gum and give it to him. And that was his reward for sitting there on our lap. But we need to start small and then increase and not have unrealistic expectations in the sitting still. And the last one is contentment. And this, again, is to, the first thing is to determine your goal. Uh, what are your goals? Is it no screaming? Is it no fits? You know, what, what do you want in terms of contentment? And then your responsibilities are many when it comes to creating contentment in your toddler. 
your responsibilities are making that fine balance of too much fatigue, not enough sleep, um, uh, uh, a poor schedule, um, the uh, too many snacks, and then not wanting to eat. All of those things contribute to our toddler's unhappiness. And we can make our toddler much more content by fulfilling our responsibilities. So these are just a few goals that you might have for your one-year-old. I know I've thrown a lot out here, but I'm glad that this is an audio and that you have a handout so that you can go back and um, re-listen to parts, make some notes. Um, Again, keep in mind that your goal is to be able to enjoy your toddler. What do you need to do to get to the point where you can enjoy your toddler? Toddlers are, are so precious and so amazing. And, um, you know, when I had this title, what to do with a wonderful one-year-old, I thought to myself many times when I was reading that, I was like, what to do with a wonderful one-year-old? Well, love him, of course, enjoy him, rock him, squeeze him, read to him, teach him, play games with him, teach him to play. I love sitting down the floor and seeing how he is learning to put the pegs on the pegboard.